0: I think the most important thing for us as communicators to remember is that whether it is an employee that you're speaking with, um, a potential client, an investment analyst, everybody is coming at this moment with a great deal of intersectionality of their experience. And there's no um sort of myopic view and i think we need to embrace the complexity of that
1: welcome to the executive communications podcast i'm your host dan bruden founder of agate executive communications in portland oregon every day leaders are taking advantage of new ways to communicate with their clients employees and the press from podcasting video and innovative tactics to engage on social media On the executive communications podcast, we talk with the people behind the scenes that are crafting the strategy and messaging for their executive teams and dig into the evolution of how leaders communicate to move their organizations forward. Hey everyone, welcome back to Executive Communications Podcast, a series where we talk to leaders from companies around the country and how they're supporting their executive teams and how they show up in this new world of work. I'm very excited to have our guest today, Stacey Zoltara, the Vice President and Head of Global Employee and Executive Communications for Visa. Thank you so
0: much. It's awesome to be here.
1: So I think I get we, we chatted a couple minutes before we started recording. So I think we have a lot of good stuff to dig into. But would love to just learn about, you know, you, your kind of role at Visa and maybe a little bit about your career journey, too.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I always think about describing my career as what I do in a way that, you know, my youngest child would understand. What would I say on career like day? That. And yeah, yeah. for me, that really comes down to being a writer, first and foremost. And I started off my career as a journalist. I see myself as a mm-hmm. storyteller. And as my career has taken kind of the twists and turns, the jungle gym uh, path, so to speak. And I started out as a journalist covering Congress in Washington, D.C., moved on to be a press secretary for U.S. Senator Dick Durbin, worked on a number of different campaigns on the state, local and and federal level, and then moved into public affairs and then the agency side and then in-house in a number of different roles Always, what's at the core of that is being a writer and a storyteller. And I think, you know, and I look back at the roles that I had and what they taught me, there were two that were really quite fundamental and relevant to what I do today, even though on the face of it, they were on the opposite side of the coin. And the first one is that I spent um, a year as a Washington correspondent for two of Scripps Howard newspapers. Um, okay. the Albuquerque Tribune and the Birmingham Post Herald. And in both cities they were the underdog paper in a two in a two paper two newspaper town, which is a very interesting category to be in because you're really like scrappy. And my yeah. job was to cover what was happening with each of those cities and states Washington delegation and also each of them at the time had a cabinet position. Uh, representation from their state in, um, in the Clinton administration. So Alexis Herman was the Secretary of Labor, and she was Birmingham-born and raised um, hero. And Bill Richardson was the Secretary of Energy. And he, of course, then went on to be the governor of New right. Mexico. So you had these sort of like local stories. And then you had this very complicated policy environment and a very complicated election, you know, it turned out to be when George W. Bush won and all of these things happening on the political landscape. And my job was in the underdog paper that was really kind of like blue collar focused and family focused, making these stories matter to people who were sitting around their kitchen table and talking about what's happening in the world. And that's really you know, kind of what it comes down to when I then moved back to Chicago, which I know we talked earlier, you heard in my accent yeah. as a fellow person <laughs> with Midwestern roots. When I eventually moved back home to Chicago and I worked for Senator Dick Durbin, I learned so much about how to craft a message and how to take really complex policies and issues and translate them into a way that really mattered for real people. And so as I've moved on through, you know, many different facets of communications, whether it be crisis and reputation management, um, working on the agency side with a wide range of clients across a ton of different issues and industries, or now in my role, leading employee and executive communications, it really comes down to the same thing. What does this story, what does this issue actually mean? for the audience we're looking to engage, what do we want them to do with this information and how do we help them to connect to it? And so that's kind of the core question I ask myself every time that I'm working on a piece of communications. And what I think is so fascinating about the industry and where we are today is that we have this real opportunity through kind of a paid, earned, owned channel mix, to think differently about how we engage people and really creating a more kind of organic surround sound environment around our audiences where you're earning their attention, you're earning their trust, you're earning their engagement in a way that feels so natural to them and is incremental. It may not have the fizz and pow of fantastic 60 second spot or a great Mm -hmm. billboard, but it is the type of thing that incrementally earns people to be with you for the long run and bring kind of a shared purpose around everything that you do
1: let's dig in there because i think that's something that's only during the pandemic accelerated right so that utilizing these you know different channels and in some ways it's never been easier but in a lot of ways it's never been harder to cut through all the noise right? So um, I think, you know, your career journey and that storytelling is really, really valuable for folks that might just be getting into kind of communications or, or marketing. I used to work at a newspaper and I kind of have that ethos too. So I love that. So, you know, getting back to just kind of, I hate, it's overused a lot, but you know, authenticity. Yeah. What are the, some of the things, and I, uh, I know I'm asking multiple part question here, so it's okay. but what are some of the things that Visa, you know, on that kind of a through line, you've changed more on the more authentic, like you said, maybe underproduced intentionally to cut through some of this.
0: Sure. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about the kind of the strategy side of it, and then I'll bring in a bit of the tactics in terms of the ways Great. that this has played out for us. So Visa prior to the pandemic, particularly amid fellow technology companies in San Francisco had a pretty traditional culture, very much in, in, in office culture, flexibility for sure, but a pretty, um, a pretty traditional in office culture. We certainly have, um, more of a hierarchical organization Mm -hmm. and I would say are very traditional and structured in the way that we interact with each other and, um, and as teams, um, and collaborate across teams. It works very well, But when you start to introduce a screen in between all of that and recognize that your employees are um, more distributed than ever, really have to think differently about how we engage. And all credit to our CEO, Al Kelly, for really leading from the front in terms of creating a new sense of accessibility and authenticity and Really modeling leading with empathy at every turn. Mm. Um, we did a lot of different things in terms of our executive communications, but we also did many things that were more across our institutional and function led communications. Very early on, when we thought this was going to be just a couple month, month blip <laughs> on the screen, yeah. we evolved our our intranet platform to have a special hub for virtual life at Visa that helped to kind of embrace the oddities of working at home. We asked people for, you know, the craziest pictures of their work environment. I submitted a picture of myself working in my son's tree house because
1: with four <laughs> kids
0: and a partner at a home and a dog, it was the only yeah. place that sometimes I could find a quiet space. Um, totally not to so. mention I built this tree house and he never uses it, so someone may as well. Um, so there were pictures pictures <laughs> that got a little traction of me working out of a tree house and you know, all the things that you saw of many companies. Of, you know the, the mother working with you know the kid hanging in the background or yeah. you know somebody with all of their animals you know kind of walking across her keyboard and we really embrace that we also empowered many of our uh, subject matter experts who lead portions of our organization like our um, global head of risk or our president of technology to be giving points of view and information about what's happening across the payments ecosystem. In ways mm. that would give visa employees a feeling that they had access to kind of an insider track of observations about what's happening in the world, and helping them to feel connected that way. And then, of course, we mm. used it as a space for really important health and safety information. We had um, right. we have a chief medical officer that we work with, and he did podcasts to answer people's questions in a really safe environment. And of course, there's no shortage of information out there about the pandemic, but having that from a trusted source. And of course, we know um, from my alma mater Edelman that people trust their employer almost more than any other institution. And that is a rising trend. So really leaning into that and leaning into our role as a trusted source and um, Mm. a source of stability. And then, of course, there came kind of that moment when things sort of tipped when the the pictures of people with their kids hanging on them while they're trying to work became not so funny anymore. And you start yeah. to recognize that there really is a tremendous level of stress that's happening um, among people. And um, particularly um, in the United States, given the backdrop of the Uprising in um, in social justice conversations, a very important increase that we had in social justice and racial justice conversations. The murder of George Floyd, the real reassessment of what's happening in our communities, and the need for um, for racial equity in our communities, in our workplace, in everything that we do. And so, bringing in all of those different things, the political stress people were feeling, and recognizing the intersectionality of that, and the role that we play in providing stability and wellness for our employees was so mm. key. And, you know, so getting into kind of the, the tactics very early on, our CEO, Al Kelly started doing a, um, a weekly video
1: okay. that
0: he would tape at home and do kind of like a 10 minute segment talking about what he was doing in his day. We peppered it with, you know, pictures of his family, what they were sort of up to, Um, Talking about the business in time, we brought in guests um, and they became more and more well produced in time. Okay, but part of the love people had for it, frankly, was that at the very beginning, it was like Al recording off of an iPad where he was looking at the wrong place on the camera (laughs) um, where, you know, the backdrop was not great, where sometimes his chin or his forehead was cut off. And honestly, people kind of loved that. And the reason they loved it also is that, you know, it really showed Al's authenticity. He's also kind of the least image conscious person I've ever worked with on an executive level. And so it really kind of spoke to, you know, who he is. He's not one to care about that kind of thing. In time, we created it a little bit more polished because it helped. We found that it really helped him to connect and um creating that incremental change, but we are still doing these videos. We've now cut cool. them to kind of every other week. Um but we're using them as a real touch point for employees. And a lot of our leaders have um followed suit and done, you know, their own hard work in kind of creating The ability to connect with their employees. I was on the phone last night with a woman who leads employee communications across Asia Pacific. And we were laughing um, and and really commending um, our president of Asia Pacific, Chris Clark, how he's become like a one-man production studio. And he's fabulous at it. And he just, you know, she was, she was laughing about how he, you know, he knows how to set up the camera, he's figured out all the lighting, he's done all the things. And you know, leaders like that who also have the ability to make other leaders super comfortable and kind of coming into that Mm. space and they've found their jam that way is really inspiring. We have, um, you know, other leaders across the company who have really figured out, you know, how to make that work and lean into what works well in their region. Um, For example, our Latin America region is really social. And for a lot of them, and I think particularly, you know, culturally, that's the case, you know, very social, very, very much into connecting together and having that it's been really important for them to find ways to set people up for virtual coffees, for example, and create the mechanism mm. to do that and invest the time to do that, which is hard to do on a large scale with an entire yeah. you know, global region. But our global president there has been, um, amazing as well in, you know, taping videos in, in at a regular cadence, having live all hands events, doing a ton of, you know, live Q&A, facilitating, you know, in-person coffees and things like that to the extent that they can mm-hmm. and understanding, mm-hmm. you know, what your employees really need and helping them to connect, modeling that and then cascading that behavior has been great. And I give our executives so much credit in really experimenting with what works. Um, you know, one more example, our, um, our head of product, Jack Forrestal, I think that his um, full team meetings increased by something like 800% year over year wow. in the first year of the pandemic, because there was a real need for people to be able to convene. And so as a communications team, that's really changed what we've been focusing on and how we've been working the demands on the team We're um, kind of at the center of all of it. And it's so important for us not to be thinking of employee and executive communications just as news you can use, but really thinking about our content and our channels, how we're reaching people where they are and constantly measuring to understand whether what we're putting out in the world is working.
1: Well, I want to get into that measurement, but you said accessibility and connection, Right. So I think that's really, really important to keep in mind. And it's something we all as professionals sometimes lose sight of, you know, so um, I appreciate that. So on the measurement front, what are some of the things you you did to like this is actually valuable for employees or even some of the stuff you're doing for the external audiences?
0: Yeah, I mean, we noticed, for example, that um, our readership of long form stories on our intranet, um, which we call insight had gone down considerably Mm. during the pandemic. It was definitely on that trend beforehand, but Mm -hmm. just noticing that people are kind of in information and reading overload, that's not helpful to them. Short form videos um, are really helpful. Um, Leading them in with things that are very clearly something that they need to know but also getting into the personal, you know, going back to Al's videos, the star of our videos has been um, Al's grand dog, Bogey, which this (laughs) dog, as Al says, is sort of like the Dennis the Menace of dogs. Um, And he's a riot. And it's just such a great like window into things. And so we look at, you know, when we send out an email, for example, of Al's weekly video, just to go, go back into that example and stay there for a bit, you know, we'll look at what do we tease out in the video? Are we teasing out a a policy change, a guest speaker, particular events or things that are happening at the company, or are we going into something personal? And how does that change the open rate? And how does that change the readership? Or I'm sorry, the viewership rather. Mm -hmm. And so we'll look through all those and we look at the trends over time. We're also, you know, really keenly looking at the nexus of, the external channels that we use for executives and for employee engagement, and the internal yeah. channels. So, um, for example, the number one um, classification of audience that engages with Al's post on links, on LinkedIn are employees. And so, when we want to share something. Do we share it on an internal channel or do we share it on LinkedIn, knowing that that's eventually going to get to employees? Um, yeah. We even had um, we had an amazing um, colleague who is a Paralympian and was um, on the gold medal winning team for basketball at the Olympics. And um, Ryan, who is part of the risk organization... He had been, you know, really supported by visa employees throughout and lots of great messages and you know support for him. And the Olympics are a big part of our culture given our longstanding partnership with the Olympics yeah. and with the US Olympics team. And after they won the gold, he wanted to send out an email to kind of thank employees and he asked our employee comms team, you know, what do we think? And The comms team said, you know, I actually think this would be an interesting opportunity for us to experiment with how we could do this on LinkedIn and then actually promote it internally and see how we could drive, drive people actually to that LinkedIn post where they can interact with each other more socially and then be able to connect more with employees and find each other there. And it was amazing how that worked. And just experimenting a bit with where sort of the first place that content appears, and then how Mm -hmm. we use our distribution, our channels, our publications internally to drive people to that and how it builds that conversation. And so we're looking Mm -hmm. at all those things, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's our at Life at Visa Instagram channel, looking at the role that our um, internet plays in that, the role our weekly emails to employees play in that, and how we cross-pollinate things. And it really is changing, particularly with the changes in how people are consuming content during the pandemic, people's tolerance for information, addressing the intersectionality of the burnout that people are feeling both professionally, personally, and understanding that we need to kind of meet them where they are and balance this feeling of, you know, culture cohesiveness and community as well as business drivers and business outcomes and how we really wrap that around the employee in a way that helps them to really feel and connect with our shared purpose as a company is mm-hmm. honestly all we think about right now.
1: Yeah. And what I, what I love about these, these strategies and tactics you're saying, it, I know Visa you have, oh resources that some companies might, but these are things smaller companies can do. Oh, for sure. Right. And I think that's really important to pass that on and, and and kind of shifting a little bit to, we also chatted briefly about um, this before we started recording the great resignation and talent. So, you know, I'm not sure how much you partner uh, with your, your folks on the talent side at Visa and then kind of helping with communications with that. We all know, we're reading about it. We've personally known people who've left their jobs and had nothing lined up, but there is a shift happening. So how does your team and role kind of play in that and like the candidate experience and recruiting side of it, if, if at all?
0: It's a big part of what we do. So we have within my team, an employer brand function led by my colleague, Carrie Gushikin. And that function partners very deeply with our people organization, specifically our talent acquisition component and also our IND team. So it's not all they do, but it's a big focus okay. of what they of what they do. And in particular, you may have seen we recently did a um, brand campaign called Meet Visa, and mm-hmm. un, um, unveiled it during the Tokyo Olympics last summer. And as a big as a big piece of that, we have really reframed the way that we not only describe Visa as a network working for everyone everywhere, and get into our value that we play in the payments ecosystem and in driving the global economy for inclusivity and access for everyone everywhere, but also what does that mean as an employee? So we, as part of the unveil for that campaign, we did a book of access where employees actually could take a journey to say, this is what I do for the company. This is my functional role, right? Yeah. Now, what does that mean in terms of helping to drive toward Visa's purpose as a network that is for everyone everywhere and is driving the global economy and, mo- and money movement in all of its ways? And so if I'm someone who works on the risk team helping to um, monitor and deter fraud, what is the role mm. that I play in that and helping that employee to get to the story of, mm. you know? I go to work every day to help to keep the payment system safe, secure, and reliable for everyone everywhere, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what your socioeconomic status, you deserve to be able to move money in whatever way you need to in order to further your economic journey and empower you. And I play a role in that. And so we want to be able to empower our employees to be part of that story and really connect to it. It's a key part of what we do. Um, Another example is particularly aligned with our very um, specific IND goals. We made pledges, um, many of them after George Floyd's um, murder. And one of them was around creating a program very specific to bringing in more um, Black and African-American colleagues into visa. And one of the ways we did that was partnering with the Thurgood Marshall Foundation to establish a Visa Black Scholars and Jobs um, Mm -hmm. program. So we had our inaugural class, not even a year after establishing this program, start this fall. We selected 50 incredible students from all across the country who we um, sponsor for part of their education for four years and Great. establish them with a mentor and all kinds of programming within Visa in the hope that they may choose to join us after the four years. Yeah. And so that yeah. entire program is done in partnership with our talent organization and our university recruiting organization and our R and d organization and building the branding around that and mm-hmm. really understanding that, yes, it tells a piece of Visa's story, but the most important story to be told there is the story of the students and how we're investing in them they have the opportunity after four years to have a job at Visa if they want it. But we humbly understand that we are one of many companies that are supporting these students and we've got to earn it if we want them to join yeah. us at the end. And boy, do we hope they do.
1: So I also wanted to ask you, Stacey, about, you know, we talked a little bit about talent and how your team's working to draw candidates in. But, you know, I'm assuming there are a lot of opportunities right now at Visa and some of the shifts you've done and potentially, you know, flexibility and things. So I'd love for you to share that as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, this idea of the great resignation. I think what's really exciting about Visa right now is that we're in the middle of our homecoming. Actually, we're starting to come back to the office here and there. We're, you know, in a flexible way. I'm in the office today. um, And we are growing as a team a lot. Um, I have several open roles on my team. Many of my colleagues do as well. So if you're a growing and rising comms professional, and you're interested in working with Visa, come check us out, look on our, on our jobs page on our website, or, you know, feel free to take a, take a search on LinkedIn across employee comms, um, product communications, corporate communications. There's a lot of great opportunities to engage and grow with our team.
1: (laughs) I have a feeling that a lot of them will. And, you know, one question I'd like to ask before we end the conversation is, you know, as a professional, as a communicator, what are some of the things you've learned this past year and a half, or that kind of bubble up to the top? You, you know, you can share with folks.
0: In terms of observations from this year, I think the most important thing for us as communicators to remember is that whether it is an employee that you're speaking with, um, a potential client, a journalist. An investment analyst, everybody is coming at this moment with a great deal of intersectionality of their experience. And there's no um, sort of myopic view. And I think we need to embrace the complexity of that. And though it's so important for us to be thinking in really clear, distilled messages that advance the that advance the business of the company and are clear and consumable. You have to understand the complexity that people are experiencing and and feeling as they come into taking in those messages and embrace that. And to the extent that we can be seen as um as a um, as a company as a potential partner that sort of has a shared purpose in helping to grow out of the pandemic and see the long term. Um, it's good for the brand. It's good for all of our audiences, and creating sort of joint, um, shared purpose is the key to building those long-term engagement relationships.
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And where, where can folks find you? I mean, if, if they wanted to learn more about you or just the work you do at Visa.
0: Sure, LinkedIn's the best place to find me. Um, and look forward to engaging. And, you know, thanks again for having me. Um, it's a great time to be in communications, and I appreciate the opportunity to share a bit and talk with you today.
1: Thank you, Stacey. Thank you for listening to the Executive Communications Podcast. To learn more about our guest and have a deeper dive into each episode, visit com. That's agate, A-G-A-T-E, executivecommunications.com.